Hello, I'm Gareth Carpenter, Farmer Content Editor at Inform Markets, and welcome to this month's CPHI podcast, focusing on how CDMOs are providing their manufacturing and fill finish expertise to bring mRNA vaccines to market. mRNA, or messenger ribonucleic acid technology, has been thrust into the limelight in recent months, with the platform proving to be the springboard for two approved vaccines against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The complex science around mRNA is very different from that of small molecule traditional pharmaceuticals or indeed traditional biologics such as monoclonal antibodies. As the world continues to focus on rolling out COVID-19 vaccines to a global population, this month's CPHI podcast focuses on what CDMOs are doing downstream in this extremely complex development and manufacturing process to ensure that mRNA vaccines are ready to hit the market in as timely a fashion as possible. And it's my pleasure to introduce Chris Dietman, Global SME, Sterile Drug Products, Pharma Services Group at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Christie has over 15 years experience in the pharmaceutical industry with an emphasis on process optimization, product development, manufacturing and sterile filling. She's worked as a formulation scientist at Lubrizol before joining Pathion in 2013. Pathion, as we know, was acquired by Thermo Fisher Scientific in 2017 and Christie supported Thermo Fisher's Greenfield site as senior principal scientist before taking over additional responsibilities as a global subject matter expert in sterile drug products. Christy is joining us from North Carolina today. Delighted to have you on the CPHI podcast, Christy. Thanks, Gareth. So before we get into the details, Christy, of the role CDMOs such as Thermo Fisher play in the mRNA vaccine story, I wonder if we could first address the actual platform technology itself. Messenger ribonucleic acid vaccines, they've become a household name due to the current pandemic. Now, as I understand it, the science is very different in that it's neither small molecule traditional pharmaceuticals or traditional biologics such as monoclonal antibodies or recombinant proteins. For the benefit of our audience, Christy, could you first briefly explain how mRNA functions and how it differs from traditional vaccines? Sure. Thanks, Gareth. And I don't claim to be an immunologist, so this is just sort of a synopsis of my understanding. But, you know, the goal of any vaccine is to elicit immune response to the virus itself. So traditional vaccines can be categorized as live attenuated, which is a weakened virus, a killed vaccine. There's protein vaccines. Vaccines also commonly use adjuvants or they can be conjugated with other entities. But how mRNA really differs is that we're not actually injecting patients with a portion of the virus or a weakened virus, we're injecting patients with a small part, an mRNA that's derived from a linear DNA, and this mRNA is synthetic. So let me go back to how the live attenuated and killed viruses are made. So typically what's been done is that the viruses were cultured or grown, replicated in non-human cells. So famously chicken embryos have been used. And then those viruses are replicated many, many times in order to produce a virus that is not infectious to humans, but can elicit immune response. Killed viruses are slightly different in that they're chemically deactivated. In this case, what's happening is the mRNA is actually entering and it's brought to us by liposomes. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, what that means. But here we're just giving a portion of the mRNA to give a notice to ourselves to make this protein. We heard in the news a lot about the spike protein. 
So the mRNA will tell our cells to make, our cells will make the spike protein. And then that spike protein will actually go through our bodies and work to make antibodies. So in the end, whether we're getting a live, attenuated, a killed, protein-based vaccine, the goal is to trigger the immune response and produce antibodies. With mRNA, it's just that we're actually taking a step back where we're signaling our cells to make the spike protein. And then that spike protein triggers our bodies to make the antibody itself. In this way, there's a lot of safety aspects, which I appreciate that we're not introducing actual virus into our bodies and not even a partially activated virus into our bodies, but just a small piece of the mRNA. So a very unique platform, I'd say, from your description there, Christy. What would you say are the key advantages and challenges of bringing mRNA-based vaccine to market? I've mentioned briefly before, one advantage is that from a toxicology perspective, it's a bit easier to handle. Live attenuated vaccines must be made in their own facilities with segregation to prevent cross-contamination to other pharmaceuticals. Most CDMOs like ourselves and even some branded pharmaceuticals that have their own facilities, they're making lots of other medicines like you mentioned before, monoclonal antibodies, other immuno-oncologies, small molecules to treat other illnesses. So one great thing about mRNA is that it's not a live virus that doesn't fit into that viral vector category. So we can handle it in our standard fill finish facilities and we don't need to have segregation. So that's one of the key advantages here. Some of the disadvantages or challenges are things that we've seen in the news. You know, the first is that the temperature requirements are extremely low at the moment for these mRNA vaccines. So that impacts every part of the process. It impacts handling the raw materials, which need to be frozen, the storage time for intermediate. So while we're processing it, we have limited times that we can do each step. And then also, of course, the distribution aspect. So these very low temperatures, minus 70, and I guess in the future, we might be able to handle them at lower temperatures as we get data, but that makes it really difficult. The other challenge is that mRNA isn't delivered alone because it's a very unstable entity itself. So it needs something to carry it to the cells. In the case of these mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, they're carried by a liposome. So liposome technology has been around for many, many years, decades, never used in a vaccine that I know of, but liposomes are good carriers of API, active pharmaceutical ingredients, because they can give a protective coating around the molecule that we're trying to deliver. And also they're made of naturally occurring lipids for the most part. So cholesterol and other things like that. So non-hazardous to our bodies, but liposome manufacture can be a bit tricky. Typically it involves dissolving lipids in some kind of solvent um, like ethanol or a combination of ethanol. Of course, ethanol is a flammable solvent. So that has its own challenges handling ethanol. Then the downstream process, um, we need to actually make the liposome, which is a very, very, very small particle usually in the, I'll say 50, that's on the small side, to 100 or 120 nanometers. So very, very, very small particles. And that process is made by usually some kind of high shear mixing, like extrusion or other high shear, like rotor stator mixing. So that process can be sort of tricky, hard to repeat. And that's what these current companies that have the mRNA vaccines on the market, they need to develop those processes and make them very robust and very repeatable, which is a challenge for liposomes. So I would say liposomes, although the technology is very promising, it's been 
used for carrying poorly water-soluble APIs and, you know, a host of other applications. But that process can be a little bit long compared to like a small molecule, which can sometimes just be dissolved in water, buffer and delivered. Um, Liposomes have their own complex challenges with a lot of parameters that need to be controlled very well all along the process. So I would say that it hasn't been in the news much, but from my perspective, that's one of the biggest challenges is actually making a repeatable process with these liposomes. Wow, some extremely uh, complex practices going on there. Nevertheless, um, this this pandemic, Christy, it requires that uh, this you know much heralded vaccine time to market should be as short as possible, and also that the manufacturing process can be scaled up to cater for for huge volumes to get out to vast populations. So, how do mRNA vaccines stack up with regard to these two crucial requirements? Yeah, thanks, Gareth. That that's difficult, right? Because we're in the midst of a pandemic. Most medicines that we make, and I'll use medicines as a broad term, including vaccines, they're developed for many years, sometimes 5, 10, 15 years. And the process is slow due to funding can be a major hurdle. So in this case, because we were in a pandemic, we didn't have to worry about funding, which was great. So governments and other agencies were willing to give a lot of money. So it is true that when things are funded well, they can happen quicker because there just aren't the challenges of you know providing funding. So That's one hurdle that we were able to overcome because of the unfortunate pandemic. So the FDA has given um, orphan indication breakthrough status to other molecules, which has really helped speed up the approval process by using risk-based approaches. The good thing about risk-based approach is that we can go to the market potentially a bit quicker and not by skipping steps in the validation or manufacturing process, but by looking at the general process and taking a good look at where the risks are and identifying those risks. So for example, as I mentioned with the mRNA COVID vaccines, we can look at where the risks are like, okay, are these liposomes robust? Can we make them in the same manner over and over again? Is the process repeatable? And as long as we can show to the FDA that the process is repeatable, that we have it well controlled and have the documentation, it's a good signal that we'll get approval. So another thing that's helped us is that in the course of years of years of development, you know, a lot of data is gathered. And in this case, we've had to gather data very, very quickly. One good thing is that the clinical trials for COVID vaccines could be much, much larger because we had a huge patient population. So I know there's been a lot of scrutiny about the quickness of these clinical trials, but the patient populations have been so large. In many cases, it's 100 times larger than other clinical trials for programs or products that have been approved. Well, that's an excellent point about the size of the populations. Christy, I'd like to now sort of go a bit uh, more um, downstream now, um, sort of the work that Thermo Fisher's doing in this story. In June this year, Thermo Fisher announced it would be providing fill finish services for Moderna's mRNA vaccine from your Greenville site in North Carolina, which Thermo Fisher picked up when the company bought Patheon. So since then, I understand that Thermo Fisher has invested heavily in increasing the capacity of of the Greenville plant. Um, I I guess that's just turned out to be a very wise decision given the volume requirements for COVID-19 vaccines at the moment. Sure. And actually, prior to the pandemic, Thermo was investing in sterile filling. In our industry, it's probably been noted for a few years that 
There was a huge growth in sterile products, um, many, many products in clinical development, which are being scaled up and commercially approved. And then also just the need for sterile fill finish in the CDMO space. I know I can speak for our Patheon facilities that we were at capacity, especially on commercial for or near capacity for a few years now. So even prior to the pandemic, we recognized that we really need to start building additional lines to be able to support our customers and support the world with access to critical medicines. Um, so we, we've made some, I guess, changes to the way that we implement new lines in Thermo Fisher. So we've been building faster, building more. Um, we have good partnerships with a lot of the manufacturers that produce these filling lines. So that's helped us to really streamline the process. And we have really targeted large-scale commercial vial production. So I'm not sure we spoke about it before, but these COVID vaccines at the moment, they're in multi-dose vials. So that means typically 10 to 15 doses per vial. So if we make a batch on a large-scale line of, say, 300,000 units, I'm just throwing that out there, sort of an average, yeah. it's actually 3 million doses of the vaccine. And these lines that we've built, they're very robust. They can run pretty much every day, all day. So we can make many, many, many millions, um, tens of millions of doses annually per line. Even with that many doses being made per line, you can clearly see we need more than one to support the whole world. So across our network right now, we're building 13 sterile filling lines. So um, quite a huge amount of filling lines. Some will support COVID, but it's also important for us to keep manufacturing non-COVID products so that we can treat patients who have cancer or other immune diseases, or even just, you know, people that are hospitalized with infections and need antibiotics and things like that. So it is important to keep a balance, but I think that number of 13 new lines being built in our network will hopefully help us to continue to distribute more and more COVID vaccines. And even as we look to the future of what these COVID vaccines will look like, will we need an annual booster Will it be somehow combined with a flu vaccine or, you know, those type of things? So long term, I think we'll keep growing, but I think it's important to also maintain a balance and be able to provide our customers with what they want is, you know, really high quality final product is safe and effective for patients. And as we know, CDMOs have that vital expertise in making the process of medicines development, taking medicines from the clinical to the commercial stage, that process as pain-free as possible. Um, as, as we've already established, mRNA is a very complex science. Um, what are the key things that a CDMO like Thermo Fisher has to consider before offering its services for fill finish of these, these crucial vaccines? Lipsome handling can be a little bit complex. Every product, every sterile product, as probably many of our listeners know, needs to be sterilized. Um, there's different ways to sterilize products. Most of the time we sterilize by filtration. That's a 0.22 micron filter, so very small pore size, and we call that a sterilizing filter. Well, these liposomes can be filtered. Um, as I mentioned before, they're about 100 nanometers, so about half the size of the pores in those filters. But filtration for liposomes can be a bit of a challenge, so we have to make sure that we have good control on that. Liposomes also don't really like high shear, and when I talk about high shear, I mean the shear that comes from filling pumps. So older filling lines use rotary piston pumps or positive displacement pumps. You can imagine, you know, a, a piston going in and out of kind of like a ceramic or stainless steel barrel, so that creates quite a high shear. 
and liposomes can't handle that shear. So what we need to do is make sure that we run these on lines with peristaltic pumps, which are much gentler. Um, we also have to take into consideration the temperature controls. So we need to make sure that um, we have adequate frozen space for the finished files, but we also have to make sure that we have refrigerator and other freezer space, um, as well as ways to keep the product cold while it's filling, or you know, the bulk pooled product cold while it's filling, and really limit the time out of, you know, the time at room temperature, time out of refrigeration. We also have to account for fast release testing because as we know, there's many people all over the world waiting for these vaccines. So typically after we manufacture a batch, it takes about, I would say six to eight weeks, six-ish weeks before we would be able to do all the testing and release it. Well, for these COVID vaccines, six weeks is just too long. So we have to minimize that as much as possible, get it down to you know three to four weeks um, and really be able to do that release testing quickly. In order to make this all happen and come together quickly, we need a lot of quality and manufacturing oversight. So that means many, many, many more people involved in every step of the process, making sure that nothing goes wrong. So we want to make sure every single step of the process is up to our quality standards and that there's really no risk when it comes to batch release, that every batch is going to be released and all the testing results are going to come back favorably. So... Before we entered into this, we had to take a lot of time with our engineering teams, our manufacturing teams to really go through the process, optimize everything, understand it well, and really have good, robust systems to be making these vaccines, these bat, you know, batch after batch after batch, day after day, month after month, um, to the highest you know, quality standards. I see. And finally, Christy, thanks for your valuable time, your expertise and sharing all this valuable information with our audience. Um, I'd like you to get your crystal ball out, if, if I may. Um, what do you think the future holds in store for mRNA in terms of its potential for, for wider applications in different disease areas? A lot of the focus obviously on COVID at the moment. Well, we know even before Moderna was working on the COVID vaccine, they were working on Zika. I think that was published um, you know, globally that people knew about that. But yeah. I think it's just one example of how mRNA can be used. It, it is a platform. So we talked about a little bit before that this is a platform technology. So that um, specific mRNA that comes from the linear DNA, it can be modified to really um, be replaced for lots of other diseases. So I do think in the future, we'll definitely see more mRNA um, vaccines or mRNA in combination with liposomes, you know, being used as a platform to treat treat other diseases. And I, I think that's really great for our industry, um, for science and for global health. Christy, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Gareth. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for listening to the podcast and please do head to cphi-online.com for lots more news, features and analysis on the latest developments impacting the global pharmaceutical supply chain. Our next podcast in the series will be coming to you soon. In the meantime, goodbye and I wish you a pleasant day ahead. <laughs>